The reading is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendour and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something that in your life became an obsession? Let, let me maybe, I mean, that's a large thing, you know. It could be that one cafe that has the perfect long black that you cannot get enough of it might be that one song that you sing only during Christmas time because you're only allowed to sing it during Christmas time. But when it happens, you want to sing that song over and over and over again. I'll, I'll let you know I had one song when I was a kid that I listened to one summer. It was the only song that I listened to the whole summer. I will not tell you what the name of the song was because that was maybe it wouldn't be appropriate here. But it was a song that that was so thrilling to me to hear that, um, actually it's not that bad of a song, but it was Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. It was a long song, but it was a great, great song, and I loved it, and so I listened to it. I, probably in the summer, I probably listened to it over a thousand times in one summer. It's the only song I played during that whole summer. Have you ever had that, or is it just me? Just me? That's mm. what I was afraid of. I was afraid of. Oh, okay, maybe, maybe I need to make this a little, uh, a little bit more uh, uh, relatable. Um, is there ever been a, a, a band or an actor or a sport team that you are like, yep, that's my team, that's my actor, that's my band? Yes? Yeah? Okay, good. Because <laughs> if not, this sermon is basically wasted. Um, <laughs> So, if it is somebody that you're like so pumped about, an actor or a music group or a sport team, you, you probably begin the process of wanting to see what they do, right? So you've enjoyed something that they've done. So it's the team that you, your dad, you know, was a fan of, and so 
you become a fan of them, or it's a music group that for some reason, they, or an actor that you're like, everything they do is so good, and I want to know everything about them. And so what you start doing with that particular thing is you begin to research them, and you begin to find out things about their lives and who they are and what they do. And if it's a team in particular, a sport team, you know all the players and you know all the things that they're going to change and who got drafted and who's being let go and who's in contract negotiations and who's on the injury reserve list and who's actually going to play this week and who's not. And like it's a big thing. And you probably even decorate your room a little bit or your body even with emblems and things of that sport team where you're like, yeah, I've got the Dockers tat right here, you know. And people are like, wow, committed to a fairly new team in the whole scheme of things, but committed. And that's great, right? And at home, maybe you have a big giant life-size poster of that band that has been up on your wall and people look at it when they come in and go, I take it you like the Bee Gees. <laughs> That's maybe a little confession there. I actually had that. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. You, you don't just do it to yourself. You don't just, you begin to find other people who are fans of that particular team or person or genre or music band and you gather together with those people and you talk about it and you give hints to one another and maybe now I mean with with the internet and social media and all those there's they're playing a secret show at the caravan we got to get there you know those those kind of things go out and you just are like that, that you you really move from fan to fanatic maybe and there's an obsession that begins to take hold of you and the one thing that you know for sure is that you will always, always speak highly of them. Regardless of what happens, regardless of the, the bad things that take place, regardless of when they make a little stinker of a movie or it's just not quite right, you'll, you'll think to yourself, well, that's a one-off, but man, he's a great actor. Or that band has that one album that they decided to do a, something a little bit different, a little bit off, and you're like, mm, it's not my favorite, but it is Sting, so I'm all right. <laughs> I will deal with that, right? That, that's this psalm. This psalm is introducing us to what worship really is, about what it's about and where it leads us to. This is a place where we're invited in by the author of this psalm to say, yes, we want to praise God. We want to lift Him on high. And then we get to recite the works that He's done. And then there's this fresh call to worship for us. See, all of us in all of our lives have things that we want to give worship to. We're designed that way. We can't help but do it. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes it's a band. Sometimes it's a person that maybe has impacted us in our lives on a very personal level, but somehow that shifts and we begin just to worship them and what they've done and how well they've helped us. Sometimes it's a thing. 
But, but our hearts are made to do that. That's the reason why in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's because those men who wrote that, who was there to give us understanding of what the Bible teaches us, they knew that our hearts are designed for worship. And it was a reminder and an instruction to us that worship belongs to God and God alone. And the great thing about this psalm is it doesn't just leave us there and say, well, you have to worship God because he's God. He lays out some things of why we should be worshiping God. And it's pretty great because, quite honestly, it's a lot easier to look at myself in the mirror and go, I can worship that. I mean, we never say that out loud, of course. Then to think, God, what is that all about? Can I worship it? So here's the thing that's most interesting to me as we move into this. I want to recognize that the first thing that we're called to do is worship. And then, very quickly, the author reminds us of where that is. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and in the company of the upright and the congregation. So here's the deal. Worship is this. There is two things that take place. It is personal, particular to us. That word when it says whole heart, it doesn't just mean do-do, It means every bit of your body. All of who you are, all your emotion, all your mental acuity, all your physicality, everything. That with all of who I am, every bit of my being, I will give thanks in gratitude and I will give worship to the Lord. With all that I am, I will come to Him and do it. It really is saying there is no halfway. It's saying that if you're going to be one who worships God, it's got to be all or nothing. It's all of who you are. Every bit of it. And that's great because it reminds us that this creator God knows me, knows you personally, intimately. He knows who you are. And so he's designed you in a way, because you long for worship, to give him worship. He's designed you in a way that you get to personally interact with him in your particularness. And so the way that you worship God might look different than the way I worship God. I certainly hope it does. There's some things I do that might freak you out. But we're not left to ourselves because we're not even designed for worship in our particularness. We're also designed for worship within the congregation, with others. I know I always run back to Ephesians chapter 2. I, I, I know I always go back there, but part of it's because it's my favorite Bible verse and chapter in the Bible and all that. But look, here's the deal. God saves us particularly who we are, and then he moves us and he places us in the temple that he is building. Actually, we're the temple. The beauty of worship is this. We're never by ourselves in it. We are gathered together with the congregation. We are gathered together with the people around in the company of the upright. Cool thing about that, there's some 
conversation about whether that's the same group, the company of the upright in the congregation, and some people say maybe that's two distinct groups of people. I like to fall on the two distinct groups of people. That there's that company of the upright. There are those who God has chosen and known and moved, who he has elected, some would say, to come in. And then there are those who are gathered in the congregation around, who are part of it. For us, it could mean this. Those of us who are on this journey with God and everyone else that we come encounter with. I should always have a life of thanksgiving and praise, of worship. With you all here, and those who come in, and those I encounter at the cafe, and those I'll see at the stadium, and those even in my own house. That my life should always be giving thanks and glory. So it is particular, but it is inclusive. It brings us all in. At the very end of the passage, we see this thing about the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. So what does that look like for us? What is this fear, this awe, this trembling, this understanding that God is so massive and big and larger, but not just in a way that is distant, but in an intimate, personal way that God is ever pursuing in his steadfast love of us? What what does that look like for us? Well, the fear of God is God in his character as the creator and the redeemer and the provider. And we have reverence in that that will then move to delight, gratitude, and trust. See, fear of God is a response to his character of who he is, the works that he has accomplished. If we look at this passage, we're reminded that greater the works of God, and they are to be studied by all who delight in them. They're full of splendor and majesty, that God's righteousness endures forever. He is gracious and merciful. He provides food. He keeps his covenant. He has shown power, people, his power through his works. He has given them a land, an inheritance. He has given us his words, his precepts. And he performs them with faithfulness and uprightness. You see, God's works are the things that cause us to move to fear. And not fear in a bad way. Not afraid. But fear in an all way. You are mighty and truth and righteous and pure and pursuing and steadfast in your love for us. In there, the beauty too is that it's not just all of that. There's a specificness that comes in. When it says his works are splendor and majesty and his righteousness endures forever. Right after it, it says he has made a remembrance of his wonderful works. That is a callback to the exodus. It is a callback to Jesus, uh, to God, moving folks from slavery and bondage into freedom. It can be found in Exodus 12, 14, where it speaks of the Passover that says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. 
And what does it cause us to do when we step into this fear? It doesn't cause us to run away. It doesn't cause us to hide in shame. But it causes us to delight, have gratitude, and trust. Trust should be a big thing that you've heard. You heard about it two weeks ago when Stephen preached. You heard about it last week. And you're hearing about it again today. That in the midst of the psalmist writing these things, these psalms of praise, these psalms of lament, these psalms of judgment, <laughs> come and take care of all my foes, right? The one thing that kind of reigns through it is this enormous, undying trust. And in that trust that God is who he says he is and is true to his word and his promises, we have delight and gratitude. We see that in verse 2 and verse 4 and verse 9. Greater the works of the Lord, they are studied by all who delight in them. Verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Verse 9, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Verse 5, trust. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. We can trust in it. So, one of the things that's interesting about having something that you're obsessed with, <laughs> whether it's a team, maybe in particularly with a team, or a band, or a actor, is that you actually have absolutely no control over them at all. None. Now, I know when you're watching a match on TV or you're sitting in the stadium, you think that if I wear my cap a certain way or have my lucky singlet on or I hold myself in just such a fashion, I can get my team to win. That if I scream loud enough at the coaches that they'll hear me and know that they need to make an adjustment. That we look at bands and we say, man, if they would just add this or that, that would have made that album so much better. Or that song, if they would just return, usually this is the way it is, if they would just return to that album that I really loved. We think of that actor and we have all sorts of script notes for them. You have no control over it. And the beauty of this psalm is it flips that negative feeling that we have that I just can't control this and it drives me crazy and it changes my mood. It flips it and says, yeah, you don't have any control over this worship. That God is the one who is doing all these things. There, there are promises that are accomplished because God is doing them. Look, here are the things that are eternal that are said in this passage. His righteousness is eternal. He is the one who remembers his covenant. He remembers his covenant. That's a huge thing. God remembers what he's promised. We're quick to forget, but God doesn't. He remembers it. Verse 8. He's established forever and ever his works, his precepts. They're held by him forever and ever. This is my favorite verse in here. Verse 9. He sent redemption 
to his people, and he has commanded his covenant forever. What we recognize here in this psalm about worship is that God is the one who provides it and receives it. That that God is the one who holds all these things true. Now, the worshipers who use this psalm as their worship hymnal early on when it was first written, they couldn't see what we get to see. They sang those with anticipation and with hope that all that would be true. But what we know is that the one who makes all these things eternal, the one who makes this all possible, is Jesus Christ because he's the fulfillment of God's righteousness. He's the fulfillment of all of God's precepts. He's the fulfillment of the command of the covenant to last forever. Amen. That in Christ, all of this is already and has been accomplished. And it goes to the beginning of the world until He comes again. And so we can look at this and go, Oftentimes when people talk to me about my team and my obsession, they look at me and say, I've gone off. It's a little bad that I shouldn't be that obsessed with things. As a matter of fact, I'm becoming a little stalkery towards things that are within it. I'm like looking for those team players as they walk around Fremantle, hoping I might get a glimpse of them, a glimpse of them and grab an autograph or a signature. I hold them in such high esteem and people are beginning to wonder about me. But in Christ, you are called to be a fanatic. You are called to be one who has been so taken over with this obsession. Why? Because God was that obsessed with you. Because God is constantly and faithfully pursuing And so in Christ, we stand as those who are worshipers in trust and in gratitude, saying, holy, let us praise God forever. And we dig deep into the knowledge of who he is. We can't help but learn more and more about him, just like we do with our teams and our actors and our music groups. That's what it says here. We delight in it. We can't find out more about it. Your team's okay. They'll pass away. I, I don't mean that in like a death way. I just mean they'll be... Your actors that you love, they're great. They're going to hurt you. They're going to do something stupid. They're going to do something obnoxious. They're going to do something illegal. Your bands, you'll love them until they get really old. Now, there's a lot of old bands who seem to be keep going strong, but eventually they won't be able to carry a tune anymore. But God, with Christ and Holy Spirit, are forever. Forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Father, let these words be your words. Let them well up within us and bring you glory and honor. If they are not your words, Father, we pray that you will take them and that they will burn up, that they will be fleeting and that they will pass away.
teach us to trust that we are your worshipers. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.